The Daily Tap is live for Monday. We are back, baby. The return from Hawaii is here. After a week off, we are back in the mix. Daily Tap today, Tapping the Keg later this week. All on the Tapping the Keg podcast network. All the social media feeds are firing. Twitter, Tapping the Keg. Tapping the Keg Sports on everything else. Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So hope you're following on all of those. If you're not, get on board. The year of 2022 for Tapping the Keg starts today. Um, I, that's really the call. A um, lot more on that as the as the weeks and the year, the months go on. But that's all I'll say. We have a great show today. We're going to talk early storylines from Packers 49ers as San Francisco advances to the second round to play Green Bay. The game will be at 8:15. Eastern Time on it on Fox. I was about to say NBC Saturday night, which we should all look forward to. Um, I actually think I have a fun topic about that later this week, so stay tuned on the on that. We'll also chat about what I missed in Hawaii. Just kind of do a full recap. I was kind of plugged in, kind of not here and there, um, and then we will hand out some golden kegs. For the Milwaukee Bucks in their tough loss to the Toronto Raptors, we will not do the Warriors game, obviously. And then we may do Marquette. Um, We might not have time. I'm trying to keep daily taps about 45 minutes, 40, 45, not trying to go to 50. I think that I feel like that's a little too much. Uh, So we're going to go to, if we go past that, um, then we'll move Marquette's Golden Kegs to tomorrow's daily tap. uh, And that will be a part of it, as well as when we do Golden Kegs for the Bucks game against Atlanta. So we're a little tight on time for uh, the Bucks, but that's okay. That's all right. It's kind of the nature of the business when you're dealing with uh, a couple days off. A little bit of a delay, shall we say, not doing this every day, which I think would be crazy. I don't think you guys want to hear my voice every day, nor I do. I think I want to talk every day uh, to you guys. But let's talk Green Bay Packers and San Francisco 49ers as that is the matchup for Green Bay for the divisional round. I cannot wait for this game. I said that on social media all over the place. I basically pumped my chest and said I feel like the Packers are going to win. I don't think anybody should be scared of this 49ers team. And I feel really great about the Green Bay Packers' chances to go to the Super Bowl. But this is the big Packers' biggest rival. Uh, we did a podcast back in September, late September, right before the Packers 49ers game. Mitch and I did where we talked about why the 49ers are the biggest rival for the Green Bay Packers and how the rivalry has intensified even since that conversation because Aaron Rodgers led the team down the field with no timeouts, 40 seconds left for Mason Crosby to hit a game-winning field goal uh, to beat the 49ers on the road with a full crowd, first home game in Levi Stadium with fans in over a year and Crosby knocks it home to beat the 49ers 30-28 to that night. And Rodgers was just fantastic in that game. Then you had the blow-by with Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan, which again added more fuel to the fire. And that was likely over some of the comments made around Aaron Rodgers and everything that happened this offseason. And that Matt LaFleur took that personally and considered Kyle a friend, and this seemed like a backstabbing nature from LaFleur, or excuse me, from Shanahan and the rest of the 49ers gang. And now they have more connections with the Jets. We'll get into the Shanahan-LaFleur matchup a little bit later here in Storylines, but 
the rivalry is a big one. It is a big fucking deal. And so when you get to play your rivals in the playoffs, it adds a little extra sauce. It's a little bit of more excitement than what you're accustomed to in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. If we were playing the Cardinals, if we were playing the Rams, I would be fired up for that. But I also think there would be a little bit of confidence heading into it. I think because the Packers are playing the Niners, there is a lack of confidence with Packer fans. And that goes into storyline number one, and maybe the national media for that matter. Storyline number one is nobody believes in the Packers. Somehow, someway, the Packers are the number one seed. Packers are playing at Lambeau Saturday night in the fucking cold, and yet nobody believes in the Packers. Nobody thinks the Packers can beat this 49ers team because they're stuck in 2019 when the 49ers were one of the best teams in football, and they were that for the entire year, and were stocked full of talented players up and down that roster. Not saying they aren't today, but they're a step back from what they were in 2019. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. They're also haunted by Colin Kaepernick running wild on a Saturday night in San Francisco where he ascended to basically the main stage. That San Francisco team also won the Super or also went to the Super Bowl, did not win it, that went to Baltimore. San Francisco also beat Green Bay in the cold uh, in 2013 with a last-second field goal, or 2014, excuse me. But that Packer team, remember, was basically led by Matt Flynn having a miraculous comeback and the NFC North being absolutely garbage. And then Aaron Rodgers pulling a game out of his ass as the Packers were 8-7 and and battling tooth and nail with that 49ers team. But none of that actually matters, yet people will use that in their arguments for why the Packers can't beat the 49ers. These are two different fucking teams altogether. And I understand there is some concerns with the way the 49ers run the ball that might show up here in the storylines. There's also some concerns maybe with the coaching matchup, but I got to tell you, I think we have the better coach on the, different, on this, the two sidelines. But I could be biased, but I, I still feel that way. But somehow, some way, everybody has talked themselves into the San Francisco 49ers, and I really don't understand it. Yes, Jimmy G is having a better season than probably people give him credit for, yet Jimmy G is always known for a couple dodo plays that make Carson Wentz blush. So don't give me that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to come into Lambeau and then come into Tampa Bay or come into wherever else and win two two more road playoff games. Because you really see that out of Jimmy Garoppolo? I'm not confident in it, nor should you be. And so for but for whatever reason, everybody has talked themselves out of the Packers being the best team in football. No one wants to embrace the Green Bay Packers and in a weird way. It feels really similar to when the Milwaukee Bucks kept beating the Brooklyn Nets and nobody understood how the Bucks were doing it. Nobody could figure it out and nobody wanted to admit that they were watching greatness in front of them. And that's what I think is happening here because even if the Packers win, even if the Packers move on and go past the San Francisco 49ers, and let's say they do it in dominating fashion, all right? Let's say they win 34 to 20. I saw Bart Winkler said 34 to 17, so I'll say 34 to 20 just to be different. If that happens, everyone will still, and if Tampa Bay wins then the next day, everyone will still say, well, Tampa Bay is the team to beat because it's Tom Brady. He's been there before. All the bullshit that you know they're going to say about Tom Brady. Packers will still be in the team that nobody believes in us. 
And I know that's something that Bill Simmons says all the time and probably overuses it. And I love Uncle Bill. And Uncle Bill has said that he thinks the Niners are going to go to the Super Bowl, notwithstanding that he also has a 17-1 to future for the Niners to win it. Fuck, I would think I would be in the Niners bag. I'd be the biggest fucking Niners fan if I was Simmons and my team was out of it. I'd be all in on the Niners. That said, I think we have to understand that the Green Bay Packers are the nobody believes in us team for the NFC as the one seed. I realize that might not seem possible, but it definitely is because there are going to be the roadblocks that have been across the Packers face before, and they have to challenge those demons head on. And if they're not ready to challenge those demons, if they come out flat or they let San Francisco bully them around early and play keep away with the ball going forward, then guess what? This Green Bay Packer team was not a Super Bowl team and they lied to us throughout the year. But I I don't believe that. And I don't think in any way, shape, or form should you be scared of this football team. You should puff your chest out and say, we're going to beat these fucking guys because they've already done it once and they can do it again. Storyline number two. I have it as Devontae Adams continuing his reign over the San Francisco corners and safeties. Do you know how good Devontae Adams has been against San Francisco 49ers? Devontae Adams has absolutely owned the 49ers. He is a San Francisco 49er killer. Now, a former Bay Area resident, he always wants to put on against the team that he probably grew up cheering for. I actually don't know. I think he might have been a Raiders fan, but that's here nor there. Regardless, Devontae Adams has eaten these guys for lunch every time they've played. The last five games, including playoffs, per Pete Bukowski, 12 for 132 and a touchdown. 10 for 173 and a touchdown. 9 for 138 and a touchdown. 7, 43 and 1. And 10, 132 and 2. That is ridiculous. Those are ridiculous numbers. San Francisco, on top of that, which Bukowski also covered, they are 31st in DVOA against covering number one wide receivers. Near the bottom. Makes Dallas's game plan all the more confusing, but that's for Dallas to worry about. That's not for us to worry about. Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, no matter the weather, can have a field day against these guys. The winds are not going to be brutal. It looks like it's 10 miles to the west, so it's not like they're going to be dealing with a windstorm where they can't get the ball moving. And even if they couldn't, I think Rodgers would find ways to get to Adams. Adams can rule against these guys. He can have a day. And they know how to play this defense. They've seen it so many times before. This is a team they're very familiar with. And Adams can go to work. And that, to me, if I was doing a Niners podcast, the biggest worry for a Niners fan, besides the injuries, which we're going to talk about here in a second, would be that Devontae Adams needs to be stopped. And how do we stop Devontae Adams? Could we do something similar that Baltimore did? And basically have the Adams rule and let everybody go off. I don't know if San Francisco has the corners to do it. They have a bad secondary. Their secondary is sneakily bad. And I think Green Bay can go to town, whether it's be in the middle or on the outsides. And I think that is what they're going to do. And I expect a massive game from Devontae Adams. Number three, I mentioned the injuries a second ago. The injuries to Nick Bosa and Fred Warner 
are massive. They loom over this game. And it's probably why the spread is a little higher um, at 5.5 is what it opened as. I think it's going to come down uh, pending on the news on Warner and Bosa. Warner suffered a non-contact injury to his ankle. Uh, It seems to be a similar injury to the ankle injury he suffered during the season and missed some time. Fred Warner is one of the best linebackers in football. Fred Warner makes shit happen all over the field. Fred Warner is what I've hoped that any Packer linebacker would look like. Fred, Everybody should want a Fred Warner on their football team. If San Francisco does not have Fred Warner, they are going to really struggle. They have struggled in the past. I know they won some games without him, but this is playoff football, and this is against the Green Bay Packers. If Aaron Rodgers has that middle open, he's going to go to work, whether that's using Josiah DeGuerra, whether that's using Alan Lazard, whether that is using, uh, what's his name, Tyler Davis, just doing something in that middle. Aaron Jones probably on the table as well. They're going to run the roost. And also with the Packers running attack of Jones and Dillon, they're going to pound it up the middle without Warner in there. Now, if they also don't have Nick Bosa there, that's doubly a concern. Now, Bosa suffered a concussion. He was ineffective against the Packers the first time around. He had two pressures. Remember, Josh Neiman played his ass off. The Packers at that time were very beat up at the offensive line position, yet kept Aaron Rodgers upright. Now you have a healthy offensive line heading in there for the Green Bay Packers. So while Bosa's loss might not seem as significant just given how he did not play well in that week three game it still matters it still makes that Niners pass rush not as effective as it once was that is taking two of their biggest cogs out of their front seven out of the game that means that they're playing basically with 70 percent of their best of their best right they're just not going to be able to bring their best yeah they have trent williams yeah they have all the talent on the on the offense but is san francisco really built for a shootout i don't think so and if you can't get a pass rush on aaron Rodgers, even if you're running these zones and the stuff that has given Rodgers problems in the past again green bay has combat that and green bay has figured out how to beat those sort of things Aaron Rodgers really has not looked mortal this season. There have been moments, there have been times in the year where we've seen it and where he's like, wow, Rodgers in and on his game. I think of the first half of the Minnesota game. And then Rodgers completely goes off. Again, Seattle's another example where Rodgers really didn't have a good game. But again, the COVID and the lack of practice, I think, really weighed heavily on that game. So I really do think that the Packers would have a significant advantage if Warner and Bosa don't play. In fact, I think Warner and Bosa are worth at least a point when it comes to the gambling perspective of it. And I think that line would be six and a half or seven if you knew that Warner and Bosa were not playing in this game. Storyline number four, the Niners rushing attack against the Packers defense. This will be beat to death. And I love that it will be because everybody will talk about how the Packers cannot stop the, the San Francisco Niners running attack. The talented Elijah Mitchell, the Debo Samuel uh, threat on the outside, the gadget pl- player that Samuel is. There will be clips of what Chicago, Baltimore, and Cleveland did to the Green Bay Packers. But what's lost in the shuffle there is how Green Bay shut down Minnesota. Now, I know that Sean Mannion was behind center, but Green Bay did not let anything get to the outside. 
Now you add into the fact you have Zadarius Smith, you might have Whitney Merciless. You'd like to think that the contain will be better, that Green Bay will do different things to keep the contain where it needs to be. I know the Niners are a great blocking team, but the Niners didn't have to face Kenny Clark today. Kenny Clark is a game wrecker. Kenny Clark can make shit happen in the middle, as well as Devondre Campbell. He's a second-team All-Pro player. Yes, Micah Parsons is great, and Micah Parsons did some really nice things in this game, but he's a, it's a different animal, man. It just is. And the Packers have guys that are going to want to hit and guys that know what it's like to play in the cold. And while Mitchell and Samuel are great players, they likely have not played in a game this cold. This will be the coldest environment that they have been in. They didn't make the playoffs last year. And remember, San Francisco hosted everybody when it came to the 2019 version of this team. So San Francisco going into the cold is going to be something else for them. And to say, oh yeah, it's going to be able to ground and pound and kill. Kill might be the only one that I I worry a tad about because he's a Midwestern guy. He knows what it's like to be in this weather. He gets it. But I don't know if Debo Samuel, who I think is from South Carolina, and Mitchell from Louisiana are going to really understand what the cold is like when they get that first hit and they embrace that contact. How is that going to happen? And yeah, Kyle Shanahan's first drive is going to look awesome. Kyle Shanahan can script better than anybody probably in football. His first 15 plays are as good as it gets. And so it's going to suck if the Packers go down early. But what I would say is look at how good the Niners were early in this game. The Niners got out. It was like, wow, this game could be a blowout. Yet another blowout. All we're going to talk about is how every game was a blowout. And the Niners completely stalled and hung on for dear fucking life. And if it's not for Dak Prescott's interception, we are not talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Rather, we're talking about maybe who would you rather play, the Rams or the Cardinals? That's the discussion that we're having today. But because Dak Prescott threw that interception, we are not having that discussion. They scored an extra touchdown, and there you have it. So I am not ready to just say, oh yeah, Kyle Shanahan is this deity just because he has a couple awesome 15 plays. The first 15 plays look great, but after that, who knows? And that's kind of been the theme of San Francisco all throughout. Like, remember that Titans game? They got out fat, got out to a fast lead there too, and all of a sudden they lost the game. They can't seem to add on after the script, and that has been a problem for them really throughout this sort of hot run. And then the last is Shanahan versus LaFleur. People don't give Matt LaFleur enough credit. Matt LaFleur is known as the guy who has Aaron Rodgers as quarterback. Matt LaFleur has a, a chance to shut up a lot of haters. And I think Matt LaFleur takes this personally. I think the beef with him and Shanahan is fucking real. I know that this is just minor dumb shit, okay? And he's shooting the breeze, busting balls with the guys that part of my take. But Matt LaFleur, was, they asked him about, like, what coaches do you talk to, you know, on a pretty regular basis? Like, who do you talk to? Or is it all siloed? They were talking about, like, analytics and Brandon Staley, who I forgot got, was it had a chance to be a Packers coach, but the Bears blocked him. That uh, LaFleur had interest in Staley and his defensive staff. Fun little fact. Thanks, Bears. Really appreciate that. He mentioned the Jets. He's like, I talk to the Jets a lot. This is obvious why he would talk to the Jets. 
A, they're in the AFC. B, it's his roommate Robert Sala leading that team. And his brother Mike is the offensive coordinator. The Jets and Packers are basically blood brothers in a weird way. I think that if the Jets would get on a run next year, I think they actually play the Packers next year. But besides that game, if the Jets end up making the playoffs, I'm fucking happy as hell for Matt LaFleur and, or Mike, excuse me, Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala because I know our coach would be happy. And they it's kind of a kindred spirit sort of thing. So I mentioned the Jets and he said, yeah, I talked to Sean McVay, who we also kind of grew up with and said like, Sean and I talk, but as the year, the year goes on and we're chasing the same thing, we don't talk as much. Those are the only two coaches he mentioned. He didn't mention Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is in that tree. Kyle Shanahan had Robert Salah and LaFleur's brother on staff. They don't talk. I think that is a real fucking beef for them right now. And I think that while LaFleur will not say it in the media, I'm sure he will be asked about it. The blow-by will be talked about. I've seen the meme. It's, it's going around. It's hot. People are going to ask Matt LaFleur about it. He'll, he'll make nothing of it. Because that's the kind of guy he is. He just, he's so calm, he's so cool, he's so collective. And the the part of it is going to be, will he actually internally, when he's, I guess he's a wine guy, he's not a whiskey guy, per part of my take. Having a glass of wine, texting Rogers, like, fuck this guy. Like, I just need to win this game over him. And I need to have that as a feather in my hat. And I will say, there is something poetic, and this is the last thing I'll say, about the opportunity for Green Bay and LaFleur and a lot of these players to beat San Francisco this week and then to potentially beat Tampa Bay the following week and really do it, you know, in the fashion of redemption and get that redemption and and climb that mountaintop. We'll see what happens, though. I know we have a long way to go. And gosh, I I wish I could just fast forward this entire week. And it's 6.30. I'm three or four beers in already, ready for this start of kickoff. But we'll have to wait. And there will be a lot talked about Packers and Niners as the week goes on. All right, let's move on to our other topics for today. As you might know, I was in Hawaii on my honeymoon. I had a great time. I really enjoyed it, uh, refreshed, recharged, all those adjectives that are there. I think those adjectives may adverbs. Regardless, I feel great. The only thing that really sucks right now is I'm still on Hawaiian time. My body clock has not adjusted yet, and it sucks. It's about four hours early in Hawaii. Right now, it's 8.38 p.m. in Hawaii. So that's kind of how my body feels. My body feels like it's 8.30. My body does not feel like it's 12.38 at night. Uh, so that's an issue, um, especially because I have work tomorrow. If I didn't have work tomorrow, if I had off for MLK Day, uh, shouts to those who do, I would be in great shape because I would just sleep till 9 or 10, go get a workout, bada bing, bada boom, it's over. But instead, I have to grind this out and see what happens. Hopefully, I'll be able to get some sleep. But I had a great time. I, I really did. I won't, yeah, I won't bore you guys. And just want to talk through and list through a couple things that I noted uh, during my time in Hawaii and was just something that made me think about you guys. Maybe think about topics. Maybe think about different things we would have discussed as the week went on. Um, but 
first to keep it with the Packers theme, uh, they got a bunch of guys back, and they seem to be all in for the Super Bowl. I think you kind of mentioned Zadarius Smith and Whitney Merciless. Jay Alexander has been practicing for a while. David Bakhtiari got out there, even though he didn't really want to be out there, and Rodgers convinced him to get some game time. They are all the way fucking in. That's also part of the reason why I feel confident about this team, because so many of the guys who lost in 2019, 2020 are back, and they know what it tastes like. They know what the loss losses feel like, and they're ready to prove a lot of people wrong. Even though they shouldn't have doubters, they should be considered the best team. All the experts, all the people who actually matter when it comes to talking about sports are like, the Packers are the best team, the Packers are the best team. And yet still, some analysts don't want to listen. That's okay. Devondre Campbell getting the second team All-Pro speaks to Brian Gunacusa's offseason. He should be executive of the year. Um, I really feel that way. Uh, Brian's done such a good job. He basically held what was a start of a burning house, and he put the flames out. And he talked with Aaron Rodgers and worked with Rodgers on different things. And they've they've refined their relationship. And Rodgers does not sound like anybody who's leaving. He doesn't sound like a gruntled, disgruntled quarterback. He talked about how little fucks he gives. And I think if Rodgers was unhappy, we would know. Rodgers seems like he's the happiest he's ever been. And part of me think that's part of the reason why I do have that standing theory that he might retire if this all ends up the right way. But Brian Gunacous continues to prove his worth. I'd be very interested if Elliot Wolf were to take the Bears and Vikings job. That was another thing that happened that Wolf, uh, now working for the Patriots, uh, interviewed both for the Vikings and the Bears job. The Packers famously passed on Ron Wolf's kid to run the team uh, after Ted Thompson's departure. What would that look like if he was running the Bears or Vikings? It'd be a bizarre world. I think it'd be tough for a lot of older Packer fans to take. Would Elliot Wolf actually make strides in the GM world? I don't know. We, we have no idea. And the teams would be forever compared because... The minute that Minnesota or Chicago found success with Elliot Wolf, there would be, well, the Packers, and if the Packers, let's say, have a downturn, there would be a ton of that where it'd be like, oh my God, could you can you believe that this is what the Packers could have had? Uh, someone that was, my God, Murph, I should say someone, you guys know Murph, I was saying, oh, it'd be Mark Murphy's biggest mistake. And I'm like, he can't, I mean, Brian Gugu's been great. And then I was told to go find a volcano. People got mad at me when I I got mad on Twitter. I Cap'n did too. My other guy who's guest on our show a few months ago was like, chill, you're in Hawaii. I'm like, ah, I'm still a fan, man. I don't I don't just turn off being a fan. Um, speaking of other teams in the state, had Milwaukee Bucks. They only beat Brooklyn and Golden State this week. And I said, that's just fine, LOL. This was before the Raptor game. But, and so that's, that's kind of crazy. Um, I, I do think there's a larger topic that needs to be discussed about the Bucks. See what happens against Atlanta uh, today as they're playing this afternoon against the Hawks. But I, I really am not entirely too concerned about the Bucks. Like, I, I don't think that they should be kind of playing with their food, if you will, and losing games that they shouldn't. And those games are going to matter at some point. And I think that the Bucks are going to turn it on. They're just not fully healthy. And I think there are nights where the lack of Brooke Lopez hurts them. And I think that was the case with Toronto. I thought not having Brooke Lopez was 
kind of the reason they struggled. And against Detroit, it was an absolute brain fart for them. And then against Charlotte, uh, this over this weekend, again, another issue with not having the bigs. Now I saw somebody point to Boogie Cousins immediately, and I, I think people forget how bad Boogie was defensively. Sure, Boogie could help on the rebounding, but he is not going to help out as much as you think he might. And should should Milwaukee look at more big man option? Maybe. But maybe Brooke Lopez is getting ready to come back. You don't know. You have no idea what's what's on the precipice for the Bucks. But they do look like a team that's about one or two guys short. The bench is not necessarily what you want it to be at this point. Has to improve. So while I said that Saturday morning I was fine with just Brooklyn and Golden State, I would have expected the Bucks to beat Toronto, and they should have. And, and again, the same type of shit happened with them in Toronto. But we are we are going to talk about that in Golden Keg, so I don't want to talk too much about it. I just wish the Bucks would have pl- are playing a little bit better. Still doing all right. I just w- want to know if that run is ever going to happen for the Bucks. Should we worry about Drew Holiday's ankle? Um, that was a big deal. Um, Drew Holiday uh, hurt his ankle. It was pretty rough. Um, he's had a sore ankle all year. Packer, the Bucks are just keeping him on ice. It seems like the Bucks have no real motivation to get Holiday off sort of the quote-unquote DL. Bucks have four games this week. Um, they play the Hawks today, as mentioned. Then they got the Grizz on Wednesday, which will be a very high-profile game. Then you have the Bulls on Friday night, another big-ass game, and then the Kings on Saturday. So maybe after that, you get Holiday for a couple weeks before you head into All-Star break. Who knows if Holiday is going to make the All-Star team. Zach Lowe uh, supported that case, which was great, um, and shouts to him. But we'll see if if the players, execs, coaches feel the same way. Holiday won't be a starter. You already heard my Trey Young rant. Um, I don't need to repeat it, but I'm really hopeful that uh, Holiday's ankle is just simply rest. That's kind of what I've heard uh, from some people, so I would assume that it's not a big deal at all. Um, but as other people have said to me, well, we felt that way about Brook Lopez, and then he's been out ever since with the sore back. So what's going on here? And if Holiday is in that same scenario as Brook Lopez, then we're going to have to start demanding a little bit more from the Bucks training staff. But we'll we'll put. A, I don't think that ha- we'll have to worry about that. So we'll just we'll do that. Another thing to mention. I hate to be the disrespect guy for this podcast, but Bucks got absolutely no love after they beat the Warriors. No one gave a flying fuck. We were on to NFL football. Everybody shoved under the rug that the Bucks absolutely embarrassed the Warriors. And sure, you could say they weren't playing with a full deck. They didn't have Draymond. They did Clay's just getting back to normal. But Drew Holiday was not playing. And he's probably the best guy to guard Steph Curry. And Steph Curry didn't do shit, and they got absolutely mollywhopped. It was one of the best. I watched the back, the 10-minute clip. Of, it was just so much fun. Just absolutely shit-pumping that team. And I, I don't really dislike the Warriors. I do like. I do hate that everybody sort of performs a Heather Brook deep throat on the Warriors. But I, I don't dislike Steph Curry or Klay Thompson or Draymond. Like I like all those guys. I'm sure if I actually played them in a playoff series... It would not be the same. I would not feel the same. Like, the Suns pissed me off, and it's been months. Like, Devin Booker and that Raptor thing, that also happened when I was in Hawaii. So fucking soft from Devin Booker. Kyrie Irving and the, and the diving at the ankles. Um, that was also another soft move. 
Westbrook cold as ice, soft too. But that it's a ricochet shot at Russ because I I have never really encountered Russ in the playoffs. The other two guys I have. By the way, real quick shout out another Hawaii thing. Finished the book. I did it. Don't no need to congratulate me all at once. It's called Boomtown. It's about Oklahoma City, the town, the team, and the weather. Actually, a crazy amount of tornadoes go through go through Oklahoma City, but we'll save that for Weather Corner, um, our new segment with Mitch and I. But I really enjoyed it. But it there's abundantly clear that Russell Westbrook comes off as a complete not. If you are a Russell Westbrook fan, I don't know. I don't even know how you can be a Russell Westbrook fan. I would love to meet somebody who was 25 and older and liked Russell Westbrook. I, I just want to meet that person and just ask him a lot of questions about, did they play basketball? Were they the selfish guy in the team? Were they shorter than everybody else? Like Those are the questions I would ask to somebody who was a Russell Westbrook fan. Moving on to college, uh, Marquette's red hot. This was before, again, before the Seton Hall. Uh, it's been so... Oh, no, I added this, actually. I think I had this added to all. But it's been really fun to watch you guys turn the corner. Um, I watched recap videos of both the Hall, the Hall game and DePaul. Played really well in both games. They were impressive as all get out um, for the last few. And it seems like that Creighton game that they lost in double overtime really sort of turned the tide. Someone pointed that out to me because I... What Captain responded, like, chill pill, you're in Hawaii. I was like, why Why did we lose to goddamn Creighton? And some guys, like, sometimes you just need to lose to wake yourself up. And I think it did for Marquette. And they've played so well um, throughout the last few weeks. It's been a joy to watch. And they, they're playing one of the toughest schedules in basketball. It's top 10 right now in the, in the NCAA. And I think... Marquette's going to be safely in as long as they do not have a Wojo collapse. It is going to be a complete gauntlet, though, for the Golden Eagles. I mean, upcoming for that team is just something else. I mean, they're going to have to deal with Villanova on Wednesday, Xavier on Sunday, head to Seton Hall, head to Providence, home back for Villanova, head back out to Connecticut, before getting Butler, Georgetown, and Creighton. And kind of the schedule eases up from there. But man, and if you're following along with Ken Palm, they have to play six straight A games. So this is similar to the December stretch. I think the same kind of rules apply. Just try to be 500 if you can. If you're a little bit under it, it's okay. And try not to lose all the games. They lose everything and they become... They would end up being four and six. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but it probably makes things a little bit dicey. But I, I don't think Marquette is, is in that position not to win one or two of them. And if you beat Villanova, who's one of the best teams in the nation, I think you're really in good shape when it comes to tournament time. And we're starting to top, talk about a top six or seven seed for the Golden Eagles. As for Wisconsin, I know I don't do a ton of Wisconsin, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Johnny Davis's run. It's been incredible. I think he's the biggest college basketball name for UW basketball in the last 25 years. I thought long and hard about that. And I know you're like going to be like, Charlie, Frank Kaminsky, 2015, was such a big deal. But he, he kind of wasn't. Like, Frank Kaminsky was a big deal for all of us 
here in Wisconsin. And some of us didn't like him, yours truly. But it wasn't like Frank was, it was a big deal that Frank Kaminsky had won. He just was the best player that year. Um, it, it, was, it was definitely not a situation where I was like, okay, Frank Kaminsky is somebody that everybody talks about. The reason why Kaminsky wasn't that big of a deal at that time was the Kentucky year just surpassed everything in college basketball. Kentucky was an undefeated team. They were undefeated until the game against the Badgers, and the Badgers beat them, and then Duke wins the national championship. But the Badger fans will always remember that game, and I'm not taking anything away from that season from Kaminsky, but the big deal was Kentucky and Duke was really good. They had Jaleel Okafor, they had Justice Winslow, they had Grayson Allen and others that were very, very talented. And it seemed like we were heading for this ultimate showdown between Duke and Kentucky, arguably two of the biggest blue blood rivalry in all of college basketball. And Wisconsin played an excellent spoiler uh, in the Final Four, and that didn't happen. Instead, we got Wisconsin and Duke, and the Badgers were on the precipice of winning the national title before everything went to shit in the final 10 minutes of that game. But Davis seems like he has more of an aura around him, and I don't know if it's just the way he plays is a lot more excitable, a lot more fun, and so that people gravitate towards that and people want to watch Johnny Davis. I don't know if anyone was seeking out watching Frank Kaminsky. Badger fans, of course, right? But I don't think you're like, all right, Frank's on. I got to watch you know, him lumber around or him shoot a three. Like He's just not that sexy of a guy. I'm sorry. It's, is he a guy that, yeah, like Hallmark movie hot? Sure. Is he Instagram hot? Absolutely not. All right? Like, let's get that clear. But Davis has that sort of it factor. And he's the first guy, I think, really, that Wisconsin has had that in the national landscape. He is making Wisconsin basketball not seem like this archaic thing, not like this Caucasian-style, buzz-cut Brad, northern Wisconsin basketball. He's he's kind of changing the game, and I deserves a lot of credit for that. So I... I am, I'm fond of Johnny Davis. I think Johnny Davis is a really good player. Again, we won't do a ton on Wisconsin hoops, but I do, I'd feel remiss if I didn't mention that Johnny Davis continued sort of his reign and is the favorite in the national, in the national title or national player of the year race. And I think Wisconsin's going to start getting some buzz as a potential, could they get to the final four? Could they get to the big dance. I think the Michigan State and Illinois games loom, but I'm not really that impressed with Michigan State after they lose at home to Northwestern and nearly lost to Minnesota this week. Yeah, it's hard for me to look past. And then Illinois, I think Illinois is really good. Um, I, I just do. I think Kofi Cockburn is one of the best players in basketball. I don't think if Kofi would, would have played against Marquette, that Marquette would have won that game, but that's just circumstantial at this point. But, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, college basketball is cooking. Uh, I look forward to kind of diving back in to watching the big games for next week. And probably we'll do the thing that I usually do, which is check out what are the premier games uh, for the week to come because your boy is a media nerd. All right, I think that's it from the time in Hawaii. Um, I'll talk maybe a little bit more about my just – experience there 
little Hawaii review, probably tomorrow's podcast, and just talk about my experience, if I liked it, what I recommend it, um, different thoughts. Um, a little on COVID, but just very, very small, and I promise I won't beat you over the head with it. All right. I know uh, we probably don't have time for both Golden Kegs. Sorry about that. We'll do Marquette's Golden Kegs tomorrow. Um, so we'll have that for Tuesday's show. They don't play till Wednesday. So we can talk about Seton Hall Marquette on Tuesday. Um, we'll definitely fit it in there. Golden Kegs, for those who are unfamiliar, basically it is a rating system. It is reverse from what hockey does. I didn't know this. Originally, I thought it was what hockey did where you have three stars to the best player, two stars to the second best player of the day, and one star to the sort of just all right player of the day. I have friends of mine who are hockey guys who watch the NHL all the time. And for every fucking reason, nobody's telling me that I did this wrong for multiple months. So I thank them for letting me look like a complete asshole when I mentioned that it's in the same approach as hockey. But Golden Kegs is based off of the UWM, uh, Marquette football rivalry. They shared a golden keg for the winner of the club football team. Three golden kegs means you played great. Two, okay. One, decent. We're adding a little bit more to this as it grows, as it is something I want to have as a regular segment when we have games to talk about. So we're talking about the Bucks, Even though they didn't play well, they still give out stars in hockey for teams that didn't play well. Now, usually they talk about the other team. We are not going to do that. We're going to just talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, three kegs for Saturday go to Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen got his groove back. Grayson Allen played really well in the first half. He had 18 points. It was a strong effort from Grayson Allen. And if the Bucks can get that on a regular basis on days where Chris Middleton and Giannis actually have a shot, the Bucks are going to be really difficult to beat. Grayson Allen did his best. He played really well in this one. The rest of the team didn't. But hopefully this is a sign of things to come for the Bucks shooting guard because they desperately need it. Two kegs goes to Giannis' free throw makes. He was 17 for 17 from the free throw line. Really good stuff from Antetokounmpo uh, when it comes to the free throw line. Yes, he did not have a good night from the field. He was 6 of 17. Also, Bud thought that Giannis could add 30 Free throws as how the Raptors were so physical. The refs, I guess, let a lot go. It's hard for me in the 10-minute clip to really understand that. Um, you only really see some of the big plays. Uh, but I, I'll take Bud's word for it. Um, and the Raptors do play that type of style. And that obviously impacted what the Bucks wanted to do. It's tough that Giannis had such a mediocre night without the free throws. If you take away the free throws, it's a really bad night for Antetokounmpo. But the free throws are an encouraging sign going forward. So I will take that. I will put that feather in my cap and move on to the next game. One keg is a belated one, even more belated than the Saturday game we're discussing. But it's Mike Budenholzer. Just having Mike Budenholzer back is great. It's good to see Bud back on the sidelines. I think he does a lot more than Darvin Ham being out there. Uh, I was happy Darvin Ham got a win. But it was a little different with having Darwin Ham out there versus Mike Boonholzer. Uh, good to have Bud back. I think that just makes things a lot better and run a lot more smooth for Milwaukee. And so it's nice to have Bud back. I'm giving him the one one keg uh, because no one else on the team fucking deserves it. I was going to say my Portis, but then you think about how Siakam and Chris Boucher really own the paint, and it's hard for me to give Bobby, Bobby Portis that, that honor. 
The Skunked Beer Stat of the Night. Yes, this is an add-on to our Golden Kegs. Milton and Giannis went 9 for 29 from the field. That is bad. Really bad. 31% if you're playing at home. If you add Wes Matthews in the occasion, which would be the third buck starter, they went 11 for 39 or 28%. That is absolutely atrocious. The Bucks just need to figure out what they're doing against the Toronto Raptors. Now, I understand that they have not played Toronto fully healthy. Giannis has missed two of the games against Toronto, health and safety protocols. For the second one, the first one, I think he had like a stomach bug or an illness, non-COVID in Toronto, and that was that was basically it. So Bucks have lost all three games to the Raptors this season. They will play Toronto one more time in Canada. Uh, who knows if there will be fans or not fans as right now Toronto is fanless. But the Bucks need to sort of figure out what they're doing against the Raptors. That just needs to be a priority. I understand that the regular season does not matter as much to the Bucks after winning a championship. That is natural. The Bucks are just like, let's simulate to the postseason. Kenny Smith talked about that when the Rockets won their first title. And the Rockets ended up becoming the sixth seed because they were really disinterested in the regular season. And on top of that, they had injuries. And, they, you know, they were a little more cautious than they were. But still, I do think it matters how the Bucks play against Toronto when they do meet the Raptors again. The thing that sucks is the Bucks don't get to play Toronto again. They have no sort of game against the Raptors the rest of the season. This was their third game. The Raptors sweep the Bucks this season. And that has to like that has to linger. Like you have to think about that a little bit. Because right now Toronto's the eighth seed. Now I'm not saying that Toronto is going to be the six or they're gonna be the five where the Bucks could play them or even the seven. But that's a team that gives the Bucks some real problems. And they are a thorn in the side. They're kind of our gen this generation's the Gen Z generation of the grit and grind grizzlies. Like they don't have a lot of great players. But they just find a way and they beat the living hell out of you. I do not want to face Toronto in the first round. I just don't. There's no good vibes about that. I think Nick Nurse really knows how to play Bud's system. And Bud has to make those adjustments. Now he did in the postseason multiple times. So I have faith that they're going to figure it out. And we have not seen this team against Toronto with the full roster. And maybe that's the thing you should hold out on. So I'm not ready to panic. But yeah, I don't really want to say Toronto. And it doesn't help, too, that the Hornets have also looked good against the Bucks. I, I don't know, man. At some point, it's it's hard to like... And maybe this is a topic for Mitch. But it's hard to like separate the one side of your brain that's like, don't worry about this. They're going to turn it on in the playoffs. And then it's like the other side where you're like, are you sure? Are you sure they're going to turn it on in the playoffs? How do you know? So we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that. But that'll do it for our show. Really happy to be back. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the content I had on Instagram around the Hawaii trip. I'm sure I'll do something on my other Twitter, other Instagram account, personal. That'll be like a photo dump, if you will. But I have so many. I think it's hard, man. When you get only 10, it's like, what do I do? Do I do a part one, part two, part three? 
And then I'm at fucking Casey McDonald, who, like, was posting bachelorette party part one, like, a week before her wedding. It was fucking weird. Uh, but I'm not that vapid, uh, shall I say. But this is probably a good time for me to wrap up the podcast. So I will talk to you guys tomorrow, another daily tap, as long as Mitch and I aren't going to do a tap in the keg, but I don't think so. Uh, gather our bearings, probably a Tuesday show, since that be an optimal time with no sports uh, on the radar on that evening. All right, take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. If you have off, enjoy it. Uh, if you don't, you're working like your boy. Uh, we'll get through it. We'll be all right. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. See you. Bye.